Welcome to the Luxury Listing Specialist Podcast with Michael Lafito, where top luxury agents reveal their best practices, plus interviews with real estate industry influencers, thought leaders, and luxury marketing experts. You'll come away from each episode with new strategies and tactics to dominate high-end homes in any market. And now for the latest episode of Luxury Listing Specialist. Here's your host, luxury real estate expert, coach, and trainer, Michael Lafito. Welcome back to another episode of the Luxury Listing Specialist Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Lafito. You're in the right place if you're an agent that's looking to increase your average transaction size. My goal for everyone that listens to the podcast or comes to one of our trainings is for you to increase your average transaction size by 30% over the next year by putting systems into place and by increasing the average sale price by adding high-end and luxury properties to your portfolio. Again, in most markets, places, the shift occurs from a seller's market to a buyer's market at some price point. And when you market a property in that price point where it's a buyer's market, a lot of inventory, a lot of days on the market, you need to be creative, think outside the box, find who that buyer is and position the home most effectively. So again, welcome back, Michael Lufito. Again, you can listen to previous episodes on iTunes or Stitcher. Uh, Again, feel free to go back. We got some great podcast guests. We're celebrating. We've been on for a little over a year now, so you have a backlog of previous shows. You can go to iTunes or Stitcher, or you can just go to LuxuryListingPodcast.com. So with that being said, today's guest, I'm really excited. Um, Today's guest is Alex Sharfin. Alex is... um, uh, the founder of he's got a real estate background but he's really a business growth specialist um alex if you if you wouldn't mind I, you can probably tell your story a little bit better than i can but tell people a little bit about star, star power and and cdpe and and you know your experience in real estate sure you got it mike thanks for having me on the podcast absolutely uh, i'm a pleasure yeah, no, this is awesome. You know, I feel like I'm going back in time. We, you know, Katie and I were so heavily involved in real estate from about 2007 to about 2013. So it's cool to uh, to be speaking the real estate language again. So I'll just, I'll give you a quick history about how I got involved in real estate. When I was 21 years old, I started buying and selling rental properties. I owned <clears throat> dozens of properties before I bought my, own, my first home. Um, I always looked at real estate as like this opportunity I was born in Mexico City when I got to the United States, and I remember, like, closing on my first house. It was like, dude, you can buy a part of America. And once I did that, it was like, how many parts of America could I buy? And, uh, you know, I've I've always been involved in the real estate market, usually buying and selling properties um, since, since, like I said, a really young, young professional age. When I was um, 32, I owned a consultancy, and this was in the early 2000s. Um, okay. I owned a consultancy. I had grown it to about $250 million. Um, I had offices in the U.S. and all over Latin America. And I got to that place in that business, Mike, where it was, like, overwhelming. I didn't want to do it anymore. I wasn't having fun anymore. And I met my wife, Katie, and she wasn't my wife then, but I met Katie, and she, she, like, I wanted to spend time with her. And I had this huge business that caused me to have to travel around. And I was gone, like, 90% of the time. I had about, uh, you know, I had teams spread out all over the place. I had offices in Mexico, Argentina, Brazil, Paraguay, um, Chile, 
uh, yeah, Miami, um, Tampa, Texas, and it was like this huge monster. And so I decided to sell it and I sold out of that company. I was really still super young and I decided to retire right after I had gotten to 30 and my retirement lasted a solid three weeks. And I was like in a, a seminar on how to buy and sell properties. And I, um, I was going to do this hobby thing where I like bought a house and rehabbed it and bought a house and rehabbed it. And so I bought my first property. I went in to rehab it. I painted the first wall and decided that that was something I never wanted to do again. <laughs> I hired people to do all of it. And Katie and I, we, within about 18 months, we were the largest home buyers in South Florida. We bought more single family homes than any company there. Uh, at one point we had done well over a thousand deals in 18 months. Um, you know, it was a closing a day. We had, we had teams, we had, um, two or three different title companies we worked with. We had two closing agents. Uh, we had several different contracting firms that were out almost always like rehabbing or changing a property. And so in the early 2000s, Katie and I built a massive real estate empire in South Florida. We had um, a, a, a company that bought and sold properties. We had a holding company where we bought, we, where we kept all our hold properties. Um, we were rehabbing and, uh, and doing a lot of wholesale deals as well. Huh. And it was like the, the most incredible time ever because we were making hundreds of thousands of dollars a month. We were investing a lot of it back in real estate. We were building this massive cash flow portfolio that was also paying us. So like, at one point it felt like we couldn't lose because all of our rental properties were paying us. We were making money on the wholesale deals. We were making money on rehabs. You know, we were, we were crushing it. And then 2007. Life was good. <laughs> life was good right up until about June of 2007. Mm -hmm. um, actually, life was good up until about 2005. So we had Wilma. I don't know if you remember Wilma, but like she was a very angry hurricane that came through South Florida. Sure. And then Katrina, which a lot of people remember Katrina is hitting New Orleans, but what they don't remember is it sat over South Florida for about two hours and dumped more rainfall than the state had ever seen in a two-hour period. Oh, and so we had, in those two years, of, out of all of our properties, we had, like, in the first hurricane, 36 insurance claims. In the second hurricane, like, 34 insurance claims. Just the deductibles were over a million dollars. And we started writing checks like crazy. And so I went from like building our real estate company to trying to fix the real estate company. And then as we were going through that, 2007 hit and the bottom fell out of the real estate market in South Florida. In the rest of the world, it's recognized as the real estate crash of 2008. But dude, in 2007, it hit Florida hard. Hmm. Um, and Katie and I ended up uh, going bankrupt. Like we were watching our numbers. We knew what was going on. We had lost so much money with the collapse of the um, properties with the hurricanes. Right. You know, we got into some weird situations, Mike. We had properties where people had signed leases, and then the properties got condemned. So we were making no cash flow on the properties. We were still paying the mortgages. Then we had to go lease apartments for the people living in our apartments. Oh, and, then, like, it was crazy. Yeah. And so um, when we finally went bankrupt, it was like, you know, the, the whole world came tumbling down. But mm -hmm. in that process, 
we were getting served with foreclosure paperwork. And I can remember the first time I ever got foreclosure paperwork. Like I remember the process server coming to the door and I had worked with so many people in foreclosure. I was an investor. You know, I bought distressed properties all the time and I had seen the paperwork. I had, I had been in the situation with other people, but dude, there's something about like the first time you see your name on that official foreclosure paperwork, it like knocked me backwards. And I can remember telling Katie, like, this is so much worse than I thought it was going to be. And then I started reading what the banks were sending out. And I started reading the correspondence I was getting. And I'm like, I was a consultant. I, I, you know, I grew a multinational business. I know how to like get people to do stuff and get people to respond. And the way the foreclosure crisis was being handled, the way that people in foreclosure was being handled, it was so challenging and mean and like threatening. And I I remember telling Katie, you know what? Like people are going to start throwing their keys in the house and walking away. And Mike, within weeks, it started happening. And not only that, people started throwing their keys in the house, turning on the, do you remember like turning on the sinks, punching holes in the wall and then leaving and it got ugly. And so because I had been through you know, some very high level consulting and high level structuring of deals, I started looking at like, how do you structure a recovery of the foreclosure crisis? And I started doing tons of research. And in 2008, I was the crazy person that went out because we wrote this product called the Certified Distressed Property Expert. And at the end of 2007, early 2008, I started writing articles and getting on TV and sharing where I could that the foreclosure crisis we were in was probably a seven to 10 year crisis. And remember, this is back when the the national association of realtors were saying we were in a six month dip. And I went out and said, it's a 10 year crisis. It's going to be devastating. It's so much worse than everybody's talking about. And at that time in 2008, the national association of realtors, bank of America, Wells Fargo city, everybody said I was crazy in 2009. Wells Fargo, Citibank, uh, Bank of America, Chase, were all partners of ours. We were working with the FHFA. We were interfacing with the Obama administration and the Consumer Protection Finance Bureau. We were working with both Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. And, um, and we, we built an organization around the Certified Distressed Property Expert designation where we trained over 50, or sorry, over 49,000 real estate agents. Is that right? That is, yeah, I, I had that. I had the CDPE. Um, if I'm not mistaken, it was around 600 bucks, and um, yep. and got a, a lot of binders and materials, and, and took the quiz yeah. online. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. And and you know what what happened that made it really dynamic is we started working with the banks. So when our agents were using our documentation, the banks knew that that it was going to be a good short sale. And in 2013, we had a lot of stuff happen during that time, Mike. It was super exciting. Like, I got to go to Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae. I spoke at a lot of financial conventions. I, w- I spoke at all the major real estate conventions. I became really good friends with the CEOs of the real estate companies. Dave Linegar is still a close friend. Um, you know, we, uh, <laughs> we, we had some really intense stuff happen. And it was one of those time frames where um, we wanted to help solve the foreclosure crisis. Like our, our goal was solving the foreclosure crisis, one homeowner at a time. And throughout that entire period, we had live broadcasts from our offices where we had bank of America come in, fidelity national title came in. Um, the U S treasury came in and did a broadcast from our office. And on, on their third broadcast, Lori Maggiano came out for the third time 
And in 2013, she said on video on a live broadcast that the certified the agents with the certified distressed property expert designation had pulled the foreclosure crisis forward by seven to ten years. So they had had made it better by seven to ten years. Oh man! And is that not rewarding awesome. or what? It was awesome. I mean, it was also interesting because the the more the faster we recovered the foreclosure crisis the more challenged our business was in real estate because people didn't need our product anymore. So we kind of, we worked ourselves out of a company uh, or we worked ourselves out of a designation. Like the CDP still sells every day today, but there was a point where we were selling a thousand units a month. These days we might sell, you know, a, a, a couple dozen, but, um, but yeah, it was one of the most amazing business rides I've ever been on. Well, you guys had um, a really dialed-in sales team, right? I mean, you had a, a, a coaching program on top of that, so they bought the cert- designation. Did you call it a, a certification or designation? We called it a designation. Sure. So they had the designation, and then there were, you know, like a monthly coaching like offering, right? Where that, you know, group coaching and and a digital- yeah, we had a we had a ninety nine dollars support program on it, ninety nine dollars. And so we How had many people were on that. Um, we had twenty two thousand people cycle through that program. Oh my goodness! Yeah, yeah. Overall, like to give you some stats because always everybody's always excited about the numbers. Um, right. We uh, we were the twenty first fastest growing company in the United States in two thousand eleven, um, according to Inc. Magazine. We won that award. Um, so Katie and I were bankrupt in 2007. We were liquid millionaires by the end of 2008. And in 2011, we had the 21st fastest growing company in the U.S. Oh, my God. Uh, That's awesome. Congratulations. Because, you know, when people get kicked down, I feel like that that is the ultimate testament, right? You talk about life lessons. You talk about sports. You know, here you are in a relationship. You know, there has to be pride involved. There has to be embarrassment. Some people say, is it better to, to have been to the top and get knocked down? I think that could be more difficult because you because you know what it used to be like, and pride and ego gets in the way. But but you landed back on your feet. That that's awesome. I was very lucky, Mike. You know, my wife is extraordinary, and um, I didn't have to do it by myself. Katie and I did it together, and she she is like the backbone of our our business and our relationship. You know, when we were going bankrupt, or when we were bankrupt, we went from. I mean, dude, talk about a, a lifestyle adjustment. We went from a huge house and, you know, $100,000 cars and eating whatever we wanted and wearing whatever we wanted. And, you know, mm-hmm. we were at the point where, like, if we made more money, it didn't really change our lifestyle because you can only eat, drink, wear, and drive so much. Right. And so, like, more money just meant more more properties. And so we went from there to literally trying to figure out how to buy groceries. And mm. we moved into this tiny little townhouse in, in Boca. Like, we had to move close to our house because we couldn't afford to move further. Like, we couldn't afford the moving trucks to move further. It was like, we should move over here because we can walk most of our stuff over. And um, Oh, my goodness. And every night, Katie would have us say in bed, you know, three things that we were grateful for before we went to sleep. And, Mike, there was a point where, like, I didn't want to talk about gratitude. I wanted to uh-huh. punch her out when she would say, like, what are you grateful for? I'm like, ah, I don't want to do this. We're going, you know, we're bankrupt. Everything sucks. And we, but I would do it anyway because she was totally resolute about it. And, you know, you look at the science behind gratitude, and I think that that, that discipline of telling each other what we were grateful for every night was such a uh-huh. huge part of our recovery. 
I, 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 I am a huge believer in affirmations and gratitude. And, um, you know, I have my oldest son, he's eight years old, but when he was about four, he was very speech delayed. And I started doing affirmations at, uh, during we call back scratching prayer when I'm, you know, scratching his back doing prayers at night. And, you know, tomorrow's going to be a good day and, you know, just positive affirmations. And like literally within two or three days, he said, you know, he was getting better sleep and he was asking me to do those. So I, I'm a huge proponent for that. How long was he speech delayed, Mike? You know, he was, all, my, all our kids were speech delayed, unfortunately, but they all, you know, are, are, are um, you know, normal doing as far as grades and all that so he was speech delayed so that was kindergarten um um actually preschool that was preschool he was speech delayed and probably within the first six weeks of him going to the preschool you know he he was starting to, to talk and, and so forth um so he, he was you know when you say unfortunately mike just i want to do some reframing for you there einstein didn't speak until he was four and throughout history, like I've done a, a exhaustive amount of research around successful people, uh-huh. and it's easy how many successful people were speech delayed. I think that there's, there's, you know, we're just all different, and speech is one of those things that some kids wait until they're really ready, but, dude, that's not something to say unfortunately about. That's a sign of brilliance. Yeah, no, I appreciate that, and uh, I, I guess I say unfortunate, you know, because at the time, right, you're, you, you know, you're always, you know, in social settings, and they, they don't, my, my kid didn't know how to communicate, so he'd get really frustrated, and and uh, and so at the time, you know, I, I kind of looked at it as, you know, is there something wrong with my, 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 my kid, you know, is, is there something that we're not doing as parents that we should be, and it was our first child, and um, so... But he is just night and day difference, you know, at his, you know, Christmas um, parties and his, his, um, you know, various school function. Like he's his, his personality just shines right and just like loves kind of being like the life of the, the event. So night and day difference. It's been, you know, I guess fortunately um, that uh, we we got the right people to help give him the support he needed. Yeah, that's awesome. So tell me, you know, so you have an amazing story, first off. Thank you. And it's very empowering for all of us that are on this uh, podcast because we all have crap in our life, right? The crap hits the fan. We all have limiting beliefs. We all get kicked in in, in various stages of our career. And, uh, you know, I love hearing the bounce back stories. and you know you 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 specialize in you know business growth specialist helping business owners of different backgrounds real estate non real estate related you know uh, put systems into place to 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 get to be more productive and be more profitable talk, talk to talk to us a little bit about that if you don't mind about growing a business and and um and what it takes to grow the business yeah, about growing, you know, some, some, some takeaways that, that those um, sure. that are listening could, you know, about growing their business, sure. and that'd be awesome. Yeah, especially in real estate, Mike. You know, um, so in 2011, I st- we started coaching because the Certified Distressed Property Expert designation was drying up because the business, you know, the market was getting so much better. So we started coaching real estate agents and working with real estate agents one-on-one. And... Um, 
you know, we very quickly transitioned to working with entrepreneurs one-on-one. And today, you know, we, I, I do run a, a coaching program with higher level entrepreneurs, usually million dollar plus and, you know, anywhere from 1 million and I have clients all the way up into the nine figure range. And the, the biggest thing about growth in real estate is that real estate agents are all taught that they need to do everything themselves and that it's a self-sufficient business and, you know, you need to hustle and make more calls and do more stuff and do more things in order to be successful. And the fact of the matter is that every successful business person in history that's grown a real empire has done it with the help of other people. And I think one of the biggest fallacies in real estate is, especially with most of the coaching programs, is that they really encourage agents to just build themselves into this little bubble of productivity where you can get a certain rate of product, you can hit a certain rate of production every year, but you don't get enough help. You don't build a team. You don't actually build an organization around yourself. And I think for me, that was one of the hardest things about coaching real estate agents exclusively was the amount of them or the number of them that wanted to actually build an organization, build a team was like less than 10%. So today, you know, of, of all of my clients, I would say like one out of 30 is a real estate agent. But the reason is because that, that real estate agent, the one out of 30 is running a, you know, three, four, $5 million business. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And they have a team. Have, you know, they have a structure around them and they're running it like a real organization. I think the biggest challenge in real estate is that, 99% of the businesses are run like boutique businesses or part-time businesses, even the successful ones. Hey there, it's Michael Lafito. Thanks again for listening to our podcast. If you are interested in signing up for our luxury listing specialist certification, or if you want additional information on how you can dominate selling higher-end homes in your marketplace, make sure you go to luxurylistingspecials.com. That, that's, um, <clears throat> so if you were to... I guess, give a word of advice that, you know, is more, I guess, actionable item, um, you know, building teams, b- building processes to be successful. I mean, is it fair to say, you know, delegate to people that are more passionate or stronger in certain skill sets than you? I mean, it, 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 like, t- talk to me about some actionable items. Like, how, how do you actually do it? Yeah. So, I mean, in like, you know, in three minutes, I guess, you know, I mean, obviously. Yeah, sure, sure. No, I'm happy yeah. to, Mike. I, I yeah. help people do this every day. You know, the, here, here's what real estate affords people the opportunity to do. An individual can get into real estate and on their own can make a hundred grand, maybe even two or three or four, you know, you can, you can do pretty good on your own. My wife, um, in her highest year of solo productivity, I think her GCI was something like 370. And she had a closing coordinator. It was just her and a closing coordinator, and they, they, she grossed 370, and the closing coordinator is part-time. So real estate's awesome because it'll let you keep a lot of that money. The, the challenge is, is that there's not a lot of talk about, like, how do you actually do more of that? And so as a real estate agent, here's, here's the thing to start doing. Like, once you start making money, is to start looking at how do you make this easier on yourself? Because the mentality in real estate is like, you can do it. You can do more. You can, you can make this happen. And, you know, my, my question for agents is always like, hey, how do we make this easier? Can we get a sign company to go deliver that sign? Can we get an, a closing coordinator to take care of every contract to close so you never talk about it again unless there's a problem? Can we find somebody who can help with your lead generation and setting appointments so that you're not doing it all yourself? Can we find an executive assistant who is there every day making your life easier? You know, you add up all those expenses. 
expenses, and they're not that much compared to what a good producing agent makes. And then Mm -hmm. if you add those things into your business, you can suddenly do so much more because you have more time. Mm -hmm. And for any agent, like here's my goal for every agent I work with. We identify what part of the business they love, and we build structure and process and people around everything else. So Mm -hmm. I work with with an incredible agent in South Florida, Jay Barabee. And uh, he works with an independent brokerage. He okay. runs a property management company and a sales organization. And, you know, Jay has a team. He's got people around him. He delegates a lot of what he does. He co-creates a lot of it. He's got people who are helping him build his business. But, you know, that, that to me is the way to grow your business as a real estate agent is start thinking right now, if you're in this business, what part of it do you love? And then obsess over how do you get somebody else to do all the rest of it? Uh-huh. Like, I, remember, I remember Katie had a closing coordinator who she paid, I think it was $300 a contract. And she had formerly worked in a title company. So for 300 bucks a contract, Katie had somebody that literally, if the contract was signed, she handed it off to closing, closing coordinator. And on most contracts, she never heard about it again until it was closed. Huh. And most agents yep. just don't don't afford themselves the opportunity to do those things. Like if, if you want to get ahead as a real estate agent, start obsessing over how you do less and have other people do more because mm-hmm. the trainings in real estate, Mike drives me crazy. I've been to them and I've been to the mm-hmm. seminar, seen the, the stuff that people say. And, you know, like, let's be really honest. Calls, notes, and Popeyes is going to kick your ass in about five years. If you're right. still driving, dropping off mustard and ketchup, you're going to feel like a chump yep. and you're not, like your life. Yeah. And, no, you're you know, you're absolutely right. I mean, you got to you got to I, I use the old saying, I'm a recovering perfectionist. You got to be able to delegate and give back, you know, many agents are control freaks. You got to you got to be able to outsource and delegate. I knew this agent that was, you know, uh, probably a 15-20 million dollar producer and he'd be driving around filling up flyer boxes and I said, "Eric, listen, this should be your assistant. This is no offense, 10 to 15 dollar an hour job. Give it to somebody else so that you can focus on income, you know, producing activities." Yeah, no doubt. And and the fact that, but here's the problem, Mike, you go right back into the next seminar and the next seminar has 21 tactics on how, on how to keep you painfully self-employed. And I think that, you know, if I had advice for people in real estate, here's my advice, get your education outside of real estate. Stop listening to all the people who are going to put you in a permanent loop of doing the same thing over and over again. You know, the top coaches in real estate coach a system that is a trap as much as it is a business. Because you learn how to do the same things over and over again. You don't build leverage. You don't build a team. And you end up making a decent living for a while. And the challenge with making a decent living for a while is it gets really boring really fast. Like I've worked with some of the top producing agents in the country, and they're bored. They're bored because they've been running the same program over and over again. Get out of real estate. Go look at how real businesses are growing and scaling. Talk to some, some you know, organizations that talk about real marketing, not just the little tiny world of I'm going to call expires and, and you know, foreclosures and stuff. Like let's figure out how to really grow the organization. And I think the biggest challenge in real estate is that it's an echo chamber. Yeah. That, yeah. you know, everybody talks about the same exact things. You go to the top three trainers, they're teaching essentially the same system with different flavors. And if you look at most brokerage training, um, you know, you look at like most of the stuff that, like let's just say Keller Williams puts out, great organization, they're awesome. But if you take most of their systems, what they will do is if you win 
you will end up being the person who now has a permanent full-time job you can't take a vacation from. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, very good points. Uh, you know, we talk about that all the time. Obviously, Einstein, the definition, sanities do the same thing, expect different results. And unfortunately, our industry is a dinosauric industry. People teaching the same systems, the same process, even though we're in a, you know, an Uber world. And, uh, you know, things have to be adapt and change much quicker than that. So um, you hit the nail on the head with so many um, pain points in our industry. And uh, I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah, no, it's, it's uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's the big issue is how do you stop acting like a real estate agent and you'll be more successful in real estate? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I tell agents all the time, don't think like a real estate agent, think like a marketer. Now, you have a podcast um, that gives some great tips and ideas and, and, and talk to me a little bit about the Momentum podcast and, um, you know, what your goal with that is and, and what some of the topics you cover there. Oh, absolutely, Mike. So um, the moment, the, the podcast, the full name is Momentum for the Entrepreneurial Personality Type. And um, in 2013, I wrote a book called The Entrepreneurial Personality Type. You can download a copy by going to freemomentumbook.com, free momentum book. And uh, it takes about 45 minutes to read it, but it's my manifesto on the entrepreneurial personality type, which is, which I believe you belong to, I belong to, and we are that small population of the world that gets up every day and says, we can make this better, we can make this different, we can make it new, we can improve the things around us and really create momentum. And I believe that our personality type is different from the rest of the world. And so the Momentum podcast speaks directly to entrepreneurs. And what is it that we need to go out and create to feel real momentum in the world? And, you know, I, I look at you and me as being part of the small group of humans that challenge the status quo want more from their lives and demand more from the world around them. And the fact is the rest of the world just doesn't think that way, Mike. The rest of the world looks at us like we're crazy. The rest of the rest of the world looks at us as like a nuisance. And I want to be able to share with people just like you and I how to create momentum, how to make forward progress and how to go out and change the world because entrepreneurs are the only consistent source of positive human evolution and we always will be. Totally agree. Totally agree. Love it. Um, so just to make sure everybody got that, the URL, URL is freemomentumbook.com, correct? It is. And if you want to listen to the podcast, you can go to momentumpodcast.com. You'll notice the theme with the word momentum. See, I believe the entrepreneurial personality type is a physiologically sensitive, momentum-based being that is highly reactive to constraint. And I think that Guys like you and I and, and women, the, 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 the entrepreneurial personality types in the world are driven exclusively by being in momentum, by that feeling of achieving, accomplishing, and having the world go your way. Do you know what I'm talking about, Mike? Yes, yes. Like the best feeling in the world for people like us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, that, that, that's awesome. I, I, I love... You know, your goal, your vision, uh, your, your why, so to speak, you're doing an amazing job. Um, I, I love your story. I think there's something in it everybody can learn from that. Um, I think it's uh, – you, you don't have to um, 
<clears throat> tell me this because I could already tell, but I think behind every successful entrepreneur or business person is an amazing support, and, and it sounds like your wife is, is the rock, um, you know, and that, that's awesome. Um, so, um, so, folks, just a, a few things here, just a couple bullet point reminders. Uh, again, for previous episodes, you have any, uh, you know, want to look at some of, and listen to some of the previous episodes, go to LuxuryListingPodcast.com or iTunes or Stitcher. If you want more information on our certification, you can go to LuxuryListingSpecialist.com or you can just uh, listen to the free podcast. We have one gentleman in Michigan that said, Alex, since he's been listening to our podcast, um, he's got his first two million dollar listings in Michigan. He's super stoked, listens to all the episodes. So, um, you know, that's the goal. Our goal is to empower agents to step outside their comfort zone and to help agents. That's the problem with our industry is there's so many agents doing the same thing over and over again. And unfortunately, those higher end homes aren't selling. So that's what our certification does. And that's what we're trying to do for free with the podcast. So with that being said, my name is Michael Lofito. I am your host. If you have any questions for us or you want to suggest perhaps a guest, uh, feel free to shoot me an email, michael at marketingluxurygroup.com, michael at marketingluxurygroup.com. Again, Alex, great job, great content, love your energy. And uh, for those listeners, the big key word to take away is momentum. You've got to keep up momentum. Emotion, an object that is in motion stays in motion. We've got to keep progressing in 2018, keep pounding the pavement. You're going to get setbacks in the industry. Pull yourself off the mat and keep going it and just do it. With that being said, Michael Lafito, prove them wrong. And remember, it's not the market, it's the marketing. Talk to you soon.